0: We're going to be looking in the book of Acts in various different places. Before we get there, let me pray for us, and we will ask God's blessing on our time. Father, we do give you thanks this morning for what you have done for us in Christ. The fact that, that I, broken, sinful, selfish, small person that I am, can have peace with almighty, holy, infinite, eternal God is amazing. And so I give you thanks for Jesus. I thank you for what he has done for me. I thank you that uh, um, this salvation is is such a wonderful, blessed, amazing gift from you. And I thank you that you have uh, put us here in part to take that message to others around us. Father, may we grow in our gratitude. May we grow in understanding just exactly how wonderful this Christian life is, just exactly how wonderful the gospel is, how wonderful it is to know you despite who we are. So, Father, we thank you and we give you praise this morning. And as we come to your word and we get to talk about aspects of this from the book of Acts, I do ask that you would bless our time. Help us to set aside the, the things that, that came before and the things that will come afterwards, maybe the things that occupy our minds or our attention. Help us to set those things aside and instead focus on You. Uh, we have set this uh, this period of time uh, aside every week to sit under the teaching of Your Word. I pray that You would make it powerful and meaningful and moving in our lives uh not just moving as an emotional though certainly that's a blessing also but that we would be moved in our understanding of you that we would be drawn to gratitude that we would be drawn to you as a result of this time so we ask for your blessing pray that you would be honored do your work in us we pray in jesus name amen so we have just finished the book of Acts. This is the last uh, sermon on this series that we started back in January, so we've been in it a while. And uh, sometimes it, it felt like we were really hustling through, and at other times it felt like we weren't really hustling through. But uh, we have come to the end of that, and uh, we could have made Acts into a several-year series and if we, if we would have covered paragraph by paragraph, verse by verse, we could have done that. And that would have been profitable in its own way. But I think it's also profitable for us to have gone through it at the pace that we did so that we can keep our minds, our eyes on the themes of, uh, that, that were developed throughout the book of Acts. And that's really our intention for doing that. And uh, so in this concluding message in our series, I want to uh, talk about the Holy Spirit. And so you have a blank sheet there in your in your uh, handout. And so there are no high school students thanking me right now for uh, a helpful <laughs> outline. And, um, but I've, I've called this one uh, Acts Pneumatology. Mm-hmm, there you go. Pneumatology is uh, just a fancy sounding word. It just means the study of the Spirit. And so it's a theology of the Holy Spirit uh, throughout the book of Acts. Pneumatology spelled with a P, P-N-E-U-M-A-T-O-L-O-G-Y and uh, talking about a study of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts because we, uh, we started obviously in the beginning and we saw that there was a transition, there was something new happening that uh, before uh, in, in the Gospels, the story was about Jesus and what Jesus was doing. And even at the beginning of Acts, it said, we, uh, I, I wrote this previous book, said Luke. Uh, he said, I wrote this previous book, O Theophilus, on all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so Jesus continues to do and teach in the book of Acts, but it's not him in the flesh. It's him working through the Spirit. And so we want to focus on the Holy Spirit. And now one reason I want to do this is because it's a uh, the the topic of the Spirit is a very big one in the book of Acts, but also because there's a lot of confusion in our day and age about the Holy Spirit and about who he is and about what he does. I recently saw a documentary on the Word of Faith movement, and, uh, and the surprising influence that it has had and still has in the American church, and not just the American church, because it turns out we export a lot of things. And so my time in Africa was uh, um, we touched up against uh, the Word of Faith movement quite a bit because we've exported it there, and, uh, and so that's a, a common theme. There's confusion about the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He does, how He influences us, and so I kind of want to go back through and, and sift through the book of Acts and learn some things about the Holy Spirit uh, from the book of Acts. Before we get there, I want to remind us who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And uh, the Trinity is not something we can comprehend as in understand everything about. Uh, But we can certainly apprehend certain truths about the Trinity. And so I'm going to, going to read to us from the Athanasian Creed. And the Athanasian Creed was attributed to a fourth century bishop of Alexandria. And, uh, writing on the topic of the Trinity, this is, it's a longer, much longer creed, but I'm going to read one sentence. He, he says that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance and he goes on to spell out what all that means but it was several paragraphs and I thought I would just summarize for you but the Trinity is is how we understand God there is one God in substance and yet he exists eternally as three persons see we as humans we are one person and we are one being at the same time well God is one being he's one substance And yet three persons. I'm just one person. He's three persons. Uh, The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. And yet there's only one God, not three. There's one God. And the Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. And the Holy Spirit, that we're going to talk about in our topic today, is fully God, the third member of the Trinity and does that matter? Does Trinity and uh, really matter to us? Uh, I mean, who really cares? Maybe that's just for people who like to spell pneumatology. <laughs> I, maybe it's just for theologians who don't have anything better than uh, to do. But uh, but I, I want to read to us a quote here from uh, an an evangelist and an apologist, James White, and this is what he says on the topic of the Trinity. He says, "The gospel is the means by which the Father, in eternal love and mercy, saves men." through the redeeming work of the son jesus christ and draws them draws them to himself by the power and regenerating work of the holy spirit and so he says in the gospel you have the father and the son and the holy spirit each doing his part to bring about salvation for you and for me and so the trinity is important and the trinity is not just a theological topic for for uh, eggheads to think about or something The Trinity, it shows itself in the gospel. I'll read that quote just one more time and then we'll move on. The gospel is the means by which the father in eternal love of the son, excuse me, in the, in eternal love and mercy saves men through the redeeming work of the son, Jesus Christ, and draws them to himself by the power and regenerating work of the Holy spirit. And so you see all three at work, in salvation, all three are at work in the gospel and bringing the gospel to us, in and, and conceiving the gospel, and then the Father making this plan out of His love, doing this, and Jesus coming to to uh, do what He did in this life, obeying God, His redeeming work on the cross as well, and then by the Holy Spirit drawing us to Himself into this salvation. So you see, uh, each of the members of of the Godhead at work in, in our own salvation. And so, as we look at the gospel, uh, as we see it unfold in Acts, and as we see this book spell out for us, we want to pay attention to the Holy Spirit and what things we learn about the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that we won't be drawn into confusion, so that we won't be, uh, in a position where we set aside the Holy Spirit and couldn't really care less about him, or perhaps don't think at all, uh, about him, or perhaps we misunderstand what his role ought to be. And so, We're going to look at uh, many passages throughout our uh, our time here, but I I just want to start in Acts chapter 1, and I want to call to mind what Jesus said in verse 8 to his disciples. He said in verse 8, this is a familiar verse to all of you, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so, of course, they wanted to get on with it. Well, first of all, they wanted Jesus to set up the kingdom now. And, uh, he said, he said, no, that, that's, that's, that's not for you to know. Uh, but I want you to stay here in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high, until you receive the Holy Spirit who will empower you for ministry. And so this is sort of a programmatic or a kind of an outline for the, the remainder of this book is this verse right here. You will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and then in Samaria, and then to the farthest reaches of the earth. And we see as we read through the book of Acts that that's exactly how it develops. It moves farther and farther beyond uh, just Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth, which is kind of symbolized in Rome. Because, of course, when the gospel goes to Rome, it's like medicine getting to the heart. It's going everywhere. And so when the gospel got to Rome, it made it to the ends of the earth. And so... Uh, that's kind of our, uh, to to set the stage for us of why uh, we're dis- discussing the Holy Spirit and what exactly His role is. Um, and so I want to talk about a few verses, and these are coming from the book of Acts. There are other verses I could bring in and, and build a fuller pneumatology, a fuller doctrine of the Spirit. But I want to focus on what we've learned in the book of Acts. And first of all, the first thing we've learned is that He is God. We've learned in the book of Acts that He is God. And that's because first of all he 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 inspires prophecy and he inspires even scripture and so we saw in uh, chapter 21 of acts and if you remember that agabus uh, who was a who was a prophet in the new testament church agabus took paul's belt and bound his own feet and said his feet and his hands and said thus says the holy spirit this is in 21:11 so he looks at paul Takes his belt, ties his own, takes Paul's belt, ties his own hands and feet. Says, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So you have the Holy Spirit being the one who is inspiring prophecy. And, of course, as we understand prophecy from the Old Testament, how does prophecy begin? When you read through writings about Elijah or Elisha or the writings of Isaiah or Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, right? That's how prophecy begins. Thus says the Lord, O Jerusalem, or, or whatever, right? The prophecy is given in the name of the Lord. And what, is, what does he do here? He says, thus says the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of hinting there. Uh, that uh, by the very fact that he inspires prophecy, that he is divine and uh, and we see a similar thing at the end in acts twenty eight which is what we just looked at in acts twenty eight in speaking with the leaders of the Jews there in Rome. remember what they did after uh, he had spoken to them, he laid out the gospel and and um, and and presented to them, disagreeing among themselves. Starting in verse 25, disagreeing among themselves, the Jewish religious leaders in Rome departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but not perceive. He says the Holy Spirit was right in saying this, and then he points to Scripture. Scripture. And he reads it from Scripture. What he's saying is that not only does the Holy Spirit inspire prophecy that Agabus had given, the Holy Spirit actually inspired the Bible. Right? The Bible, the Word of God, is the Word of the Holy Spirit. And so the teaching that's uh, consistent throughout the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit is, is God. And we see that, first of all, in His inspiration of prophecy. And we see in chapter 7 and verse 51 an implication of deity. So first was about uh, inspiration. And here in, in chapter 7, we see an implication of deity. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, who's speaking? I want to pause there for a second. This is Stephen speaking. And this is Stephen speaking at the end of a very long sermon, right? It's a, a long sermon in which he has traced the history of the nation of Israel, and he has traced how God has done this and this, and they have disobeyed. God, And then God has come and restored and they, and, and he has told, uh, told them, you know, what he expects of them and they have done this and and, and this, and then what do they do? Well, they disobey God again. So it's a sermon about the disobedience of the nation of Israel against God. And so how does Stephen summarize that in verse 51? He says, you stiff necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy spirit as your fathers did. So do you. He says, you are resisting God, you are resisting the Holy Spirit, who is God. And so there's an implication there of deity, that the Holy Spirit is implied there, that He is deity. And then, not just an implication of deity in 751, but in 5, chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, we have a statement of deity, of the Holy Spirit. And you remember uh, Acts chapter 5? In verses 3 and 4, this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira where they had sold a piece of property and then they gave some of the money to the church to pass out but they kept some for themselves. But they told the church, yeah, we sold it for this amount and that's why we're giving you this whole amount when secretly they kept aside a portion for themselves. And and what happens? What's the response here? Look at verses 3 and 4. What does Peter say? Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? To keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. In verse 3, he said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, he says, you're lying to God. He's not, it's not doublespeak. He didn't make a mistake there. And he's not talking about two separate beings. He's saying that the Holy Spirit is God himself. And so we see the first thing that I want us to catch in mind here that uh, the book of Acts teaches us about the Holy Spirit is that he's God. He's God. We would say he's the third person of the Trinity, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. He himself is fully God. But there's a second thing that we, that we learn. And we see this consistently throughout the book. And that is that. He, the Holy Spirit, is at work for ministry throughout. Even the way Luke started the book when he said, I wrote to you the first time, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, and now there's a continuing of it, but before it continues, what does he say? Wait till the Holy Spirit shows up. When he shows up and empowers you, then you will go and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea. And of course, back in in Acts chapter 2, we see the beginning of that. Not many days after... Jesus had said that, we see the the, the the promised Holy Spirit who comes for the purpose of ministry. Comes for the purpose of ministry. See, in the Old Testament, the Spirit especially anointed certain people for ministry. To, to minister to God's people, to take care of them, to feed them, to teach them, to, to protect them, to lead them and guide them. He, he He anointed certain people. He anointed particularly prophets and priests and kings. Those were particularly the three groups of people that the Holy Spirit anointed to minister to his people. Those were the people that God had given to shepherd and to minister to the children of Israel. And one of the profound things that Jesus accomplished for his people is giving to them that spiritual empowerment to know and minister for God. That he gave the gift of the Holy Spirit not just to the king, not just to the high priest, or not just to the prophet. Let's look in chapter 2. Look at verse 33. Being therefore exalted, speaking of Jesus, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus had received for himself the, the the Holy Spirit to pour out on whom he would. Is he going to just pour out the Holy Spirit on the prophet or the priest or the king? Look what he says in 16. Chapter 2 and 16, beginning the sermon, this was what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. The Holy Spirit isn't just for the leader, isn't just for that anointed special one who is the the minister of the nation or the minister of this area or running the temple or something like that. The Holy Spirit is given, poured out for the purpose of ministry and poured out upon all of God's children so that we all have the gift of the Holy Spirit, everyone who is in Christ. And so... Jesus being exalted to the right hand and, and having received the Holy Spirit that he could pour out on whom he will, he pours it out on all of his children, everyone who is in Christ, that we might be empowered for ministry, that we might have the Holy Spirit living within us. It's given to every believer. And so we see that the Holy Spirit is at work for ministry. He's promised in uh, chapter 2 and verse 16. He's promised for ministry. And we see in several places that he directs ministry as it happens. All that Jesus began to do and teach in the Gospel of Luke, now he is doing and accomplishing, doing and teaching in the book of Acts through the working of the Holy Spirit as he directs ministry. And so I'm going to go through very quickly uh, chapter 8 and verse 29. This is about Philip. Remember Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot, chariot that had the Ethiopian eunuch in it, which, of course, led to that evangelistic opportunity, which led to him being saved and being baptized right there. The, the Holy Spirit specifically directed Philip exactly where to go. Go over and join this chariot. We see a similar thing in chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, with Peter and, the, and Cornelius. The Spirit said to Peter, Behold... Three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And of course, Cornelius being a Gentile, here is a unique situation, the, the first time where the gospel is really going out at the hands of Peter, through the mouth of Peter, to Cornelius and the group that's there, and this is directed by the Holy Spirit. He told Peter, These three men are waiting for you. Rise and go down without hesitation because I have sent them to you. And again in chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, uh, we see in Paul's ministry, this was kind of enigmatic for us when we saw Paul wanting to go and minister to a particular area, but the Spirit wouldn't let him. And he wanted to travel through there and minister there, and the Spirit wouldn't let him do that. We see that the Spirit actually was uh, constraining Paul. He was stopping Paul. Uh, He was keeping him from doing it. Right? And we see in 20 and verse 22 that he, the Holy Spirit also warns Paul of what's going to come. So we see the Spirit directing ministry, even sometimes in surprising ways. And if you'll turn to 15, chapter 15 and verse 28, that's the, the story there of the Jerusalem council. Remember that the gospel was in danger of being polluted. And what's the church going to do? And what's the decision that, that this Christian community is going to come to regarding Regarding the gospel and regarding circumcision and regarding how Gentiles should be treated and included, and we see that even there, uh, the uh, the Holy Spirit leads the entire church in fifteen and verse twenty-eight. This is this is what said: for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And so we see the Holy Spirit directly leading and guiding ministry, and of course. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders in chapter 20 and verse 28, and he reminds them of their position. Their position as overseers in the church there in Ephesus. And what does he say about their position? This, He says it was the Holy Spirit who put you into this position of overseership. It was the Holy Spirit who directs ministry. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers ministry. And we looked. Uh, we started off by looking at chapter one and verse eight. That it was well, they needed to wait in Jerusalem there until the Holy Spirit came, that they would be em- empowered to do the ministry to be witnesses. You see, the ministry that the church does, the primary ministry of the church, is not possible for us to do, because it has to do with ministering the gospel to other people. It has to do with leading other people to Christ and directing other people to Christ. All of those things are heart issues. I can't do it, and we can't do it. But the Holy Spirit working through us is the one who uses the Word of God preached to reach into people's hearts and direct their hearts toward Him. So so that the ministry that we do is not one of convincing, browbeating, uh, manipulating It's to proclaim the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit himself himself uses the Word of God proclaimed to turn hearts to himself. And he is the only way that we can do ministry. It's not something that we can do on our own. And even the apostles couldn't do on their own. So throughout the Acts of the Apostles... The Holy Spirit moves and empowers the church to do His will. And this is something I want you to uh, write down these verses real quick, but just in this, uh, for this reason, is that very often you will see that the filling of the Holy Spirit is directly connected with speaking. I want to give you some examples. 2-4, chapter 2 and verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Chapter 4 and verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Chapter 4 and verse 31, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Chapter 13, verses 9 and 10, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you see the connection between the filling of the Holy Spirit and speaking? It's consistent throughout the book of Acts. You see it in such a frequent fashion that it's surprising perhaps to see that the Holy Spirit resulted in proclamation of the gospel resulted in spoken ministry whether to believers or to unbelievers the filling of the Holy Spirit is closely associated with speech and so we see that the Holy Spirit is at work for ministry and we see thirdly that the Holy Spirit is at work in the church he's at work in the church first of all he forms the church back to Acts chapter 2 Chapter 2, so again, this is uh, Peter's first sermon. This is on the day of Pentecost in response to the people gathered around because the Holy Spirit had initially uh, uh, filled them and they were speaking in tongues and all these things were going on and there was a there was a big uh, hubbub and so uh, Peter stands up and he preaches and this is the message he preaches. And close to the end of the sermon here when he is calling people to faith, look what he says in verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. One of the truths of a member of the church, a member of the spiritual church, meaning a Christian, is that they have the Holy Spirit. There were a couple of situations throughout the book of Acts where someone had come to Christ, but they did not have the Holy Spirit. And so... The apostles were sent, and they prayed for them, or they laid hands on them, or whatever. But that was a symbol of the gospel going into wider and wider circles, right? Going not just to the Jews here at Pentecost, but then, but then even to the Samaritans, And so you've got the involvement of the apostles there. And then even to the Gentiles, you've got the involvement of the apostles there. The point being, uh, the argument that Acts is making is that every believer is to have the Holy Spirit. Uh, Part of the definition of what it means to be a believer is that you have the Holy Spirit within you. And you have the Holy Holy Spirit within you, irrespective of ethnicity. I read from chapter 15. Again, this is the Jerusalem Council. Verses 7 and 8. Brothers, you know that in the early days... God made a choice among you that by my mouth, says Peter, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, says Peter the Jew, speaking to Jews. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. And so you see a consistent message that a a Christian has the Holy Spirit living within him. That's part of the definition of what it means to be a Christian. It's part of the definition of what it means to be in the church. And this is a, a sign of the Holy Spirit forming the church. And actually in Acts chapter 19, remember that, uh, that odd situation where, where uh, Paul runs across those twelve disciples of, of John. They knew the baptism of John and he speaks to them. And what question does he ask them in uh, chapter 19? He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, no. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And he asked them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, oh, the baptism of John. He said, oh, the baptism of John is a baptism of repentance to lead you to Christ. And so he proclaimed Christ, and therefore they were baptized in the name of Christ. So when he, was, when he encountered this odd group of, of men and wanted to understand better, better whether they were Christians, he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They said no, and he knew. They're not Christians, and so he shares with them because part of the definition of what it means to be a Christian is that we have the Holy Spirit of God living within us. So the Holy Spirit forms the church. The Holy Spirit fills the church. Flip to uh, 4 and verse 31. And this is a plug for our prayer meeting. I'd like to say that this happens all the time at our prayer meeting, but perhaps not. Chapter 4 and verse 31. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Here you have the church praying together, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They continued to speak, to proclaim the Word of God with boldness. This is the Holy Spirit working in the entire church, not just a member here or a member there. This is this is the Holy Spirit working in the church. This is what He wants to do. This is a way that He works in filling the entire church. We, we live in a very individualistic society. And we're Nevadans, so I think we may be a step up on the individualism, right? I think, I think that's true. We, we like to, uh, you know, go our own way. To be left alone. And so when we think about the Holy Spirit, when we think about the work of God in the church, when we think about the work of God in my life, when we when we think about these things, when we think about prayer, perhaps filling of the Holy Spirit, we tend to think in terms of me in my corner, me in my, my closet, me alone, irrespective of what you guys are doing. And here we have this situation where the Holy Spirit is working, not just in an individual, but in the whole church. And look at what the result was and they continued to proclaim the word of god boldly. and so the spirit was working and filling the entire church and actually we see thirdly not only does he uh, not, not only does he form the church not only does he fill the church but he also multiplies the church. flip over to chapter 9 verse 31. And this is a result of, this is right after Saul's conversion. Remember, Saul is converted, converted in that amazing way on the road uh, to Damascus, and he begins to minister right off the bat, and he keeps getting run out of town, which is going to be consistent throughout his life. But uh, you see in verse 31 what's going on. So the church, throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So here you have this church, despite persecution, Paul had been spearheading that persecution, but it was still ongoing. Despite the opposition, despite the the challenges that they were facing, you have this church that was walking in the fear of the Lord. They were blessed in great ways. They were being comforted by the Holy Spirit. They were multiplying. The fear of the Lord here uh, was characteristic of their church. And I like this definition of the fear of the Lord from R.C. Sproul. He says, The fear of the Lord is the awe that fills the heart with reverence and inclines the will to adoration it fills the heart with reverence and inclines the will to adoration to adore God they had their eyes of faith fixed on him as their Savior as their Lord trusting in him fully worshiping him only and fully prepared to do God's bidding and in that context, the Spirit was greatly comforting the church, which was facing opposition, uncertain times. What the Spirit was doing in the church was having its effect. The church was multiplying. A church that walks in the fear of the Lord and is blessed in these kind of ways, particularly in dark times, has a, has a powerful ministry. The church was multiplying and despite all that was stacked against it, the church was growing and it was expanding at a great rate. And so that's a very quick walkthrough of, of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and the things that we learn. And the the Holy Spirit is mentioned about 60 times in the book of Acts. He's, he's a common character and he's driving things. And there are other things that are going on, but I wanted to call these to our, to our attention. And then I, for, for some takeaways, I have. Uh, this is the first one. In the introduction, I mentioned that quote by James White. I want to return to that now. Uh, now that we've looked at the Holy Spirit, now that we've seen how the book of Acts lays out the ministry of the Holy Spirit, remember that James White, in speaking of the gospel, says this. The gospel is the means by which the Father, in eternal love and mercy... Saves men through the redeeming work of the Son, Jesus Christ, and draws them to Himself by the power and regenerating work of the Spirit. Our year spent in the book of Acts has shown us exactly that, that the Holy Spirit was drawing uh, people to the Father by His power and regenerating work. We could see that again and again, the Spirit at work. And, church, the same thing is true of us. We have been drawn to the Father. By the Holy Spirit. And even now, the Spirit is empowering and moving us to be involved in that process as we share the gospel with others and as we minister to people around us. It's not all finished when the Holy Spirit brings us into the kingdom. It's not all finished when the Holy Spirit ushers us into the presence of the Father. That's not the end. He continues to work. He continues to empower. And so first of all, It's Thanksgiving, and we should give thanks for that. But secondly, let's participate with the Holy Spirit in taking the message of the gospel, of salvation, of of God's grace. Take that message to other people. Let's take our eyes off of our own needs and our own worlds and perhaps our own hurts, our own thoughts, and let's look to others and see how the Holy Spirit might want to use us to reach out to other people. Might want to use us to minister to others, perhaps others in this room, maybe someone else else in our lives who doesn 't know the Lord and I have along with this first takeaway, I have a confession as i as I thought about Thanksgiving and time I spent uh, with with family, I was challenged after it was over, which is unfortunate. I was challenged at how better I could have ministered in that environment with unbelievers around me. And the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit is so often connected with speaking. Even on a day of thanksgiving, how could I keep my mouth shut about how wonderful this gospel is and not speak to someone around me, not proclaim the gospel, not call them to faith and repentance? How could I not do that? And so I personally am, am very convicted by this aspect. Just reading through and seeing the spirit at work, and then and then observing where uh, where perhaps I have stood in the way of that. I don't want to do that anymore, and I don't want us to do that. Secondly, we should not miss how closely connected the working and empowering of the spirit is in our speak is to speaking. The gospel is a message, and so it must be communicated. The gospel is not a lifestyle that we can live, that we can demonstrate to someone. Yes, we, we live a lifestyle that, that, that does demonstrate the gospel, but it does not communicate the message. It must be spoken. It must be communicated. It's not enough un, for us merely to show other people the gospel. We need to speak it. And the filling of the Spirit in Acts produces witnessing, speaking communicating Christ to others. This is a normal thing for the Christian. And where you're sitting and where I'm standing, it may not seem like a normal thing for a Christian. It may may seem like it's normal for somebody, somebody out there who's specially gifted or really bold or just likes to do that or something. This is normal for the Christian to take this message of salvation to people around us. filling of the spirit in acts produces witnessing and speaking and communicating christ to others and nothing has changed though two thousand years have gone by and so church let's open our mouths and let's tell sinners of the grace that we have found in christ in our sunday school class this morning we were talking about the gospel we were talking about the gospel throughout the course of of all of the bible and it's exciting and I was grateful to God for the gospel, and i I had to like rein it back in to get back on topic because I just wanted to go on and on about the grace of God and saving me that that Jesus would stand in my place, that he would obey in my place and give me that righteousness, and that I might put my my sin on him that that he pays for that, that I stand before God, me like you guys see me and you You hear me and you know my flaws and you don't know all my flaws, but the ones you know are bad enough. And because of the mercy of God, because of what Christ has done, I stand before God having peace with God by faith in Christ. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, I want to be used by God to take that to other people. The filling of the Holy Spirit produces speaking of the gospel to other people. And so let's do that. Let's open our mouths. Let's tell sinners about this grace that we have found this gospel it is so joyous thirdly may the lord grow and expand our church as we walk in the fear of him and are ourselves comforted by his holy spirit despite what opposition we might face may we walk in the fear of the lord may we have our eyes fixed on him where else would you rather fix your eyes by the way than on that great gift that i just talked about on this, this this, gracious God who has done this for us. Let's fix our eyes on him. May we trust Christ's work on our behalf, knowing of and rejoicing in our peace with God that comes from what has been accomplished. And may we be committed to doing his bidding in our lives. We are his. And may he comfort us with the Holy Spirit and may he multiply us as he sees fit. And church, as we do that, as we rejoice in what he has done for us, as we fully understand our position before him because of what Christ has done, that produces an aroma in the community. That produces an aroma for your unbelieving family members or your neighbors. And it will give you opportunity to minister the gospel. It will give you opportunity to point well beyond yourself to Christ and what he has done. And so we do have December 7th coming up, and and, uh, it it sounds like we're pushing this event and this event, and let's go do evangelism on this event. And and really, I mean, we are pushing that we would go and do evangelism on this event. But but the real push is that it would be just like every other day when we're doing evangelism. Not just on December 7th, and boy, we did it this year. We're all done, and I'm glad that's over. 364 days, we'll be back at it. (laughs) No, but that, that this would be a normal thing in our lives. The same thing with prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. We come together and pray. And we meet in the office. That tells you how many of us come and meet, right? We have more room. We could be using larger facilities to do this. And so we invite you all at 7 o'clock to come on Wednesdays where we seek the Lord. Where we seek the Lord. We lift you all up in prayer. We lift others up in prayer. And we would love to do that together. And we would love to see the Lord at work by His Holy Spirit filling all of us. That we would go out and that we would proclaim the Word boldly. I want to proclaim the word boldly. I want to proclaim the gospel to everyone who will let me in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's my desire for us. And as we conclude the book of Acts, I think that's a a fitting place for us to land because we saw the church doing that. In good times, they were multiplying. They were sharing the gospel. They were ministering. And they were ministering to one another, taking care of of one another's needs and praying together and studying the Bible, doing communion together and, and all of those things. And then hard times came. And what did they do? the same things sometimes they would have to skip town and go somewhere else but when they did it they took the gospel with them and they proclaimed it there and all of a sudden there was a new community of christians there too and popped up over here and we saw the church of god ministering in the power of the holy spirit and so that that's my desire for us and that's that's really uh was behind our desire for wanting to preach through the book of acts that that we would be impacted by that, that that we would see that yeah this happened long ago and it can happen now the holy spirit still speaks through his word the Holy Spirit still forms the church. He still empowers the church for ministry. God still saves people. So let's take that gospel to those around us. I want to conclude with this verse. From 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. My prayer is that we would know that verse and know what it means and that we would see it in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we give you glory for all the things that you accomplished by the work of your Holy Spirit in the book of Acts in the first century. And there were amazing things and there were big things, miraculous, powerful, wonderful things done by the apostles and, and other miraculous, wonderful ways that the Holy Spirit worked. And there were mundane ways as Christians walked with their eyes fixed on you and you filled them and you comforted them and you grew them. It's our desire, Lord, that your spirit would work in our midst as he sees fit, that he would comfort us, form the church, fill us, direct our ministry, guide us, minister the gospel to us and draw others to faith in Christ, that they might have peace with God. So, Father, we ask that you would do this. And we thank you and we praise you for the book of Acts and uh, all that we've learned. And we pray, uh, praise you particularly right now for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in applying that salvation to our lives. May we go forth in worship, pondering that, having that on our minds, giving you glory for what you've done for us in the gospel. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. There will be a a team to pray for you uh, immediately now if you want to come and pray for someone other than that. God bless you all. Go forth thinking about the gospel and you are dismissed.